Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I. Check them out. They have the industry standard for training for facilities and property management education. BOMI.org. Well, today we're going to talk about the hotel industry, the hospitality world. It's a uh, it's a great sector. You know, you think about hotels. It seems like they call uh, industrial the sexy sector. Well, hotels have always been the sexy sector. You know, think about the resorts and the casinos and the nice hotels and the day-to-day rentals. When someone doesn't pay, you're there out, right? Well, let's get the latest today on, on the performance of hotels, what we've seen uh, last year, 2018, what to expect moving forward in 2019, and, and also what could impact the hotel industry moving forward. Please welcome my guest. It's Mark Woodworth, and Mark is Managing Director with CBRE Hotels America Research, and he's here in Studio One. Mark, good to see you again. Michael, thanks again for the opportunity, and I'm glad that you find a little part of a commercial realty space that we occupy so exciting and attractive and vibrant and bubbly and whatever the other stuff you said. So yeah, I said sexy. Again. Oh, sexy, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, we started a hotel division about a year ago, and we're selling okay. hotels, and I, and I think it's awesome. It's a it's a great sector, and uh, uh, so I'm always curious, I've, and I've heard you speak for years, and I respect what you do, and, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah, well, thank you. So let's look at 2018. It looks like uh, the economy's been good. Uh, it looks like we've had doesn't seem like we've had too many new hotels. Everybody's been building multifamily, right? Right. Yeah. So what what happened in 2018? How's the performance been? I know it's the end of December. It was no, it's now January, the first week of yeah. January as we tape this today. And I know all the 18 numbers aren't in, but what what have you seen? Well, um, and I hate to sound like the consultant that I am, but the answer begins with it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we had a record occupancy, never been better. Uh, I, I, and again, you know, in our part of the world, we talk about occupancy. Everybody else talks about vacancy. Yeah. Uh, it's never been higher than it was in 2018. That's clearly good news. And what number is that percentage? Uh, just north of 66%. Okay. Uh, and I think an important uh, benchmark there is the long run average is about 62. Okay. So we're well above what, a, what an average or more typical year would be in terms of occupancy. Uh, we continue to see some challenges on the pricing part, uh, operators being able to get good gains in, in pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but profitability levels uh, are, are extremely high. Um, and, and, and so their cash flow is very good. Uh, we've been saying for some time now, look at the lodging space as a place where you can get some very attractive dividends, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to necessarily getting really attractive year-over-year gains in the value of, of your investment appreciation and so mm-hmm. forth. So uh, we don't really think that there's any threats to that, uh, what we've seen really for the last three or four years now, uh, for the, at least the next two or three years, meaning very balanced relationship between the increase in supply mm-hmm. and the amount of new demand that comes into, uh, into the vast majority of markets, uh, and the fact that revenues will continue to increase, albeit somewhat modestly. Uh, the biggest challenge we see, and, and we think when the numbers come in for 2018, uh, understanding that half of the cost of actually running a hotel uh, is labor yeah, and employment. The people. Uh, and so, as you know, and, um, unemployment rates being so low, labor, labor is scarce, therefore the price of that labor mm-hmm. continues to go up. Uh, in the hotel space, it's been at twice the rate of inflation now for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of downward pressure on bottom line growth. Uh, but again, in terms of, you know, will we continue to sell 
uh, record levels of rooms, will the, will the is supply going to grow too fast for the demand to keep up with it? The answer is absolutely no. We feel, in fact, in the almost 40 years now, Michael, I've been doing this kind of thing, I uh, started using a word I've never applied in the lodging space before, and that was dur durability. You know, we think it's a very durable profit stream that we're looking at for at least the next couple of years. Well, let me ask you, if rates have been fairly well, you didn't say flat, but there haven't been a lot of increases in your daily rates or the income, right. uh, but, and you've seen increases in expenses, especially on the labor side. Does that mean profitability has been flat or? Um, it's been in the low single digits, okay. which uh, in, in the, the remarkable thing, I don't want to get into, too far into the weeds mm -hmm. uh, uh, today on this, but uh, if we think about record occupancy levels, which means it's Technically, it's been harder to find a hotel room than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. You'd think scarcity, therefore, would be uh, put the ball very much in the seller's court. Right. But again, uh, there's been some unique things going on in the lodging space this particular cycle. Uh, the introduction of the intermediaries 10, 15 years ago now. The Think of the price lines, the Expedias, oh, yeah. and so forth. Uh, and the fact that, that, that hotel owners and the managers that they employ um, have come to rely very heavily on those intermediaries, and those intermediaries are ex extracting a pretty significant price uh, for bringing that piece of business to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And so that's affecting the net average daily rate that the hotels are reporting to people like us that then use those to, to uh, forecast the future. And what do you expect for new supply moving forward, Mark? It looks like, you know, in most sectors of commercial real estate, uh, supply has been rather um, limited except for maybe multifamily. Right. Um, but you know, with, new con with construction costs rising so much, what does that pretend for the hospitality world? Does that mean less new supply and, and good times for hotels because of lack of new supply? Certainly much less yeah. new supply, new construction than one would expect, again, given how long and how well the industry has been performing. Yeah. Uh, you know, depending upon where you sit in the hotel space, you're either happy or sad mm -hmm. that there's been all this demand for construction materials, labor, land, et cetera, coming because of multifamily. Yeah. Um, you know, we're here in Atlanta. We had the unique circumstance uh, as we were coming off of the, the depth of the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. We had two professional sports stadiums mm -hmm. under construction at the same time. Mm -hmm. So uh, the idea being the competition for virtually all of the inputs to the development process mm -hmm. um, is one of the factors that really kept hotels from doing what they historically have done, and that is to overbuild. Yeah. Um, we just don't see that. We're just getting back to long run average net supply change uh, in 2018. Yeah. We, again, our, our forward looking view uh, doesn't expect to see much of, much of a change going forward. Okay. And how about the different types of hotels? Do you see any variances there on performance last year and then what do you expect moving forward? Well, do you want to talk about the really nice hotels or the kind of hotels you like to stay in? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, those resorts and mountaintop beautiful resorts, there that's where go. I like to stay. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a barbell view today and mm -hmm. that the, the really high end and the, the lower priced hotels uh, have been outperforming the industry averages. So you have the, uh, luxury, uh, certainly resort locations that are, as you know, are often dominated by mm -hmm. the higher quality, higher priced assets. Mm -hmm. um, they have been doing, uh, again, outperforming the average. Part of that is, is because if you think about that 80% that, that, uh, that falls in the middle of the bell curve, mm -hmm. uh, on average, those hotels are fuller than they've ever been. And the, i.e. they're selling out more nights of the week, more weeks of the month, more months of the year. And uh, as you know, if, you are, if you're full, you have no more units to sell, you can't, you can't grow your business other than increasing the price. Yeah. So we've seen that happen. What do you see for events? 
events in a, terms of uh, events for um, and what do you call it in the hotel industry the uh, event space the oh meetings and conferences meetings and so and forth. conferences yeah uh, it's 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 uh, it has come back nicely. Mm -hmm. uh, there remains a lot of concern about uh, is it is it actually fully recovered from what we saw really pre two thousand and eight. So that's a, that's a, something that we've been watching very very closely. The availability of data is a little bit spotty, so it's hard to get real comfortable. Uh, but we've just begun to dig into some research around the idea of uncertainty mm -hmm. and how does that affect hotel room buyers' behavior. Uh, and one of the things anecdotally we've learned is that. And it kind of makes sense we start to think about it that uh, if you're a meeting planner and you're representing Bull Realty or the National Association of Home Builders or pick the, the mm -hmm. tens of thousands of companies and organizations that exist, the more uncertain you are about what your future holds, I mean, the natural, nat natural human response would be if I don't have to make a decision now. Let me postpone it until I feel a little better about what the future holds. Right. So, in the hotel world, what that means is, is that. Uh, hotel managers are finding they've had more inventory available on their books for longer periods of time than what they used to because meeting planners are not booking as far in advance as they used to. So it's like anything else, the longer it sits in inventory, the, the less valuable it is and therefore the more willing you are to, to, to move that inventory at a yep. discounted price to get it sold. And again, that's one of those things that's been been hurting the the even though we got high occupancies, it's been hurting the year over year increase in prices. Yeah, in well, it's interesting because it seems like uh, uh, businesses and small businesses have been pretty confident about the about the economic environment and the economy moving mm -hmm. forward. So, what do you guys expect moving forward into uh, twenty nineteen and maybe into that what sounds like far away twenty twenty? Right? There you go. Yeah, could be. Uh, 19 is looking really good. Uh, again, this whole question of uncertainty is certainly elevated. Yeah. I mean, tariffs, no, tra no tariffs. You know, indictments, no indictments. There's a long list of things that mm -hmm. is really difficult to gauge and even handicap what the, what the uh, outcome might be. Mm -hmm. But the, the economic fundals uh, and the advanced booking data that we've seen indicate that 19, uh, 2019, where we are today, this should be yet another really good year. In fact, our forecast, which we released about, I guess, a month ago now, for 2019 calls for yet an even higher industry-wide occupancy. Nice. We think things generally will be flat in 2020. Uh, we do expect some economic weakness to set in in the back half of 2020. Mm -hmm. We'll probably really feel it in 2021. Mm -hmm. But but we're really characterizing it, Michael, as, as an industry slowdown as distinguished from an industry downturn. Industry slowdown in what way? Uh, that we're going to, we will probably see uh, a, a point, point and a half decline in industry-wide occupancy levels. Okay. We'll see price increases in the two and a half, two point eight percent range, mm -hmm. such that overall revenues are going to continue to go up. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the expenses increases and so forth that will persist well through two thousand twenty-one, such that we could see the average U.S. hotel have a year-over-year year decline in profitability. But again, not like the, the, what we've seen in the previous, certainly the previous two downturns of, yeah. of 2001 and, and 2008. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, I want to ask you, Mark, about cap rates, what you expect moving forward, and maybe whether there's some opportunities in the market. For Stay With Us, I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back.
Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The segment is brought to you by buyproxy.com. Have you seen this website? It's B-I-P-R-O-X-I.com. It's a complimentary listing service where brokers can list properties and buyers and tenants can go check out properties. They also have a suite of marketing products. Check them out. Well, today we're talking about hospitality. We're talking about the hotel industry, one of my favorite sectors. And we have Mark Woodworth here, one of my favorite guests here in Studio One. And uh, he's managing director with CBRE Hotels, American America Research, right? And so, um, Mark, it seems like we've had good times and we've had a nice long cycle. You've just told us that Hospitality world, hotel world is looking pretty good. Things are are, yep. are are moving along pretty well. What could be the downturn? What could be the headwind that if we're in the hotel industry, we might want to watch out for? Well, the, uh, our research has revealed, Michael, that um, there's historically five things that have occurred that either on their own or maybe one or two happen together that bring an end to the lodging cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, overbuilding is one. Uh, we talked about that briefly before. We just don't see at the macro level any threats. Mm-hmm. There's maybe a handful of markets around the country where where there should be some concern for the next year or two, mm-hmm. but not a big deal. Um, things like an asset price bubble. So most recently, the housing crisis we saw 10 years ago, I guess now. And uh, prior to that, the dot-com of the 90s. You know, I would ask you, is there a bubble today in the marketplace? I don't think so. It's kind of hard to find one, right? Usually yeah. in... All the academic literature says you you know you're in a bubble when it bursts and you can look back at it and <laughs> try to figure out what actually happened and right. so forth. But it doesn't seem to be really any concerns, uh, again, at the macro level of there being a price bubble. Uh, there's always the catastrophic event that you can't predict. Right. So there, that risk is always there, but that's that's not new. Um, uh, we talked about the economy briefly. Mm-hmm. You know, and our house view, again, is it, it, it looks very good for the next uh, certainly 18 months. We're seeing some slowdown after that. But in terms of implications for lodging, as I said, it's not really it's a downturn. It's a, it's a, it's a slowdown. Uh, and the last uh, uh, would be was uh, oil energy mm-hmm. uh, prices. And so, you know, early in our careers, there were questions about are we going to run out of oil? Mm-hmm. Now the question is, are we going to run out of demand for oil? <laughs> right. Right. So because the price seems to be so low. So right. there's clearly no threats on that front. So so that's why we say when we kind of roll all that up and what do we think that uh, that holds for the future? Uh, for those things that, that you can predict comfortably, you can anticipate happening, uh, and some of the advanced data that we've seen for this year and early into next year makes us feel very, very good that, again, that there's a lot of tensile strength or the fundamentals are very, very sound to continue this kind of very durable, profitable outlook uh, for the hotel space. For 10 years or <laughs> for two years? Well, at least 18 months anyway. <laughs> 18 months and maybe, 18, maybe two years. 18 months. Okay. Yeah. So what do you see for cap rates uh, around the, at least around the U.S. For, for hotels trending in 18 and what do you expect moving forward into 19? Yeah, they've, they've generally been flat, Michael, in the hotel space. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, at the macro level, you have market level uh, variances and so yeah. forth. Uh, certainly the pressure has been upward. Uh, given what's been happening on interest rates and so forth. Mm-hmm. But again, our uh, from our uh, cap rate forecasting models, we just don't see a whole lot of movement going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so again, when we think about uh, from an investment perspective, 
Uh, we think the profits are very attractive today. They're not likely to grow much, but they're going to be there. They're mm -hmm. going to continue to be there. Uh, if cap rates do change materially, maybe they go up a little bit. So that kind of eats into the idea that my, my investment is likely to appreciate much, at least over the next two or three years. But, uh, but we just don't see uh, within the hotel space alone uh, a lot of movement there. Uh, comparing the fundamentals of the other real property types to lodging, uh, on a relative basis, we think the outlook for hotels over the next three to five years uh, and, and value appreciation is, is, uh, is, 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 is among the best, That's great. certainly relative to multifamily industrial retail. That's great. So now, in your five areas where you kind of want to watch for issues in the hotel industry, one of them that you didn't mention in the, in the top five, at least, was the shared economy, kind of the Airbnb, that everybody renting out their, their places. Uh, is that is it not, does that have any impact on well, this uh, industry? Is in it changing? In answering your question, am I allowed to ask you a question? Okay. Okay. So record high mm -hmm. occupancy levels in traditional hotels as mm -hmm. we've come to think of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and so 2018 was better than 2017. 2017 was better than 2016, et cetera, et cetera. So if occupancies continue to set records, who cares about the sharing economy? The Airbnbs, the VRBOs, the HomeAways. I mean, these, you, I could reach a logical conclusion when I think about that. Yeah. Uh, we, however, what we do think, well, two things from that. There's more people traveling away from home from ever, so that's who's occupying this non-traditional space. Uh, earlier, we briefly talked about the issue of weaker pricing power in traditional hotels. Well, clearly, one of the contributing factors has been we have the sharing economy, so the consumer has these alternatives, these options that didn't exist before. Yeah. And we've seen it in markets that, uh, particularly where we see peak performance nights, and like we're getting ready for the Super Bowl another month here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. We will see the supply of shared economy accommodations peak. Mm -hmm. uh, owners will put their units onto Airbnb and these other services, yeah. making them available for the Super Bowl, purely because they know they can rent them at a premium price. Well, part of that, from an economic perspective, is going to be shaved off the peaks that the traditional hotels would have received. But it's not a threat. It's a factor, it's a reality, it's more of an issue in some markets than some. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, we, we think it's something that traditional hoteliers can be learning something from mm -hmm. in terms of what the consumer likes, yeah. whether it's through the, the purchasing process all the way through the unit itself. Um, and that overall, uh, and this it's not something good for a brief video, but, but we have a hypothesis that over time we hope to, to prove or disprove, and that is traditional hotels, regular old hotels, mm -hmm. on average will run at a higher occupancy level than they otherwise would have had the sharing economy never evolved mm -hmm. in the accommodation space. And that's largely because, again, uh, it's a much more efficient way to meet demands if you can provide the supply when the demand is present. As you know, we all grew up with, you build a hotel and you hope for the next 40 years, 24-7, yeah. uh, you know, we have 365 days a year, there's going to be someone there to rent, to rent these rooms. Yeah. So we think this is a more efficient way to meet some of these demands that overall, uh, from an occupancy perspective, certainly, that the traditional hotels over the long haul will do better than they otherwise would have. What about the contrarian thought related to that? thinking about, let's say there is a downturn. Let's say in 2021, we hit some mild recession. Uh, and so people uh, are a little more concerned about money. Maybe the, the 
traffic for uh, hotels drops. Uh, and the people who own these uh, alternative or non-traditional uh, rentals right. also need money. And they maybe have the opportunity to drop the rents to wherever they need them to be. To, to right. have, we haven't really had a downturn recession, really, have we, since this kind of non-traditional... No, in fact, you, you, yeah. you, you just cited the, the primary reason why we began to get interested in this five years ago. Mm -hmm. Because we, we fundamentally want to understand it better, but we, we, our concern was what you just said, that that, that non-traditional unit owner doesn't have the fixed costs of running their operation mm -hmm. that a traditional hotel would. Yeah. So therefore, from an economic perspective, again, they have the ability to lower their prices much more so than a traditional hotel would. Mm -hmm. um, so again, we just have to go through a cycle to see what the data yeah. uh, tells us on that. But uh, uh, another factor we do see is for some people, there is this notion of we call host fatigue. Say, so, but yeah. it's just not worth it for me anymore. Right. I mean, when I when I could rent it at this level, I was making good money. I was cover, covering my ownership costs, whatever it is I was trying to achieve. Yeah. Uh, but at this level, it's just not worth the hassle. Yeah. So maybe I'll turn it and try to rent it out for six or twelve months. Yeah. So yeah. they can have some of those types of outcomes. Yeah, that well. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. If I can rent my house for a thousand a night, okay. But if I had to rent it for two hundred a night, no, never mind. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. right. Where are opportunities? Are there certain hotel types or new supply or areas uh, where there might be some opportunities? I think if there's a market with a firm with, uh, in which your firm has a hotel listing. <laughs> that's that's right great. Answer. Okay, good. There you go. Um, no, I think that the, the uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, a rule of thumb that, that I'm comfortable buy into, look at markets that are making investments in their infrastructure, beginning with airports. And I'm answering, I'm kind of giving you the longer term view of where, sure. where we go. Uh, we think that that's critical. If you look at the uh, uh, population flows and what markets are gaining people, which ones are losing, it's all about labor. And that's an environment that we're going to be in for, for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, what we're seeing in the markets, like why did Amazon decide to go to the two markets where they're going to? We look at some of the companies you know, virtually in, in a lot of coastal, a lot of southern markets and so forth. Uh, they're migrating to where the labor is mm -hmm. and so forth. And so some of those uh, economic or demographic variables uh, where I would really begin to look when I was trying to identify, you know, where are likely to be the top markets over the next certainly three to five years and if, if not beyond. How about property type? Is there any opportunities in um, boutique hotels or, or non-branded hotels or anything? Yes and yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. um, and I say that, and let me, without going too long on this, yeah. if we look at the longer term history of the hotel space, uh, we saw a big change back in the, in the uh, late 40s and early 50s when Kemmons Wilson came up with this idea of let's build a Holiday Inn. Mm -hmm. And there were many others that basically replicated that concept. History tells us it takes 30 to 35 years for some real fundamental structural changes uh, in, in the lodging space. Uh, Back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, we had this idea of segmentation. You know, that's when you started these economy suites and all suite mm -hmm. hotels and different property types evolved. Well, here we are now 30, 35 years later, consumer preferences have evolved uh, in, in a way. So of saying, look, I went from saying, I don't want any surprises. I want to go from point A to point B and have the exact same experience I had in point A uh, when I get to point B. Mm -hmm. Now it's about well, I'm in Atlanta, I'm in San Diego, I'm in wherever I am. I want to feel like I'm 
part of that community, part right. of that, you know, what's indigenous to this marketplace and somehow bring that into the hotel. Uh, the whole area of technology uh, is driving a lot of this change. I mean, most of us, when we travel, ideally we like say, I want to have at least the level of technology in my hotel room as I have at home. I don't, I don't want to miss that and so forth. So those are some of the things that are, uh, that are driving change in the opportunity. I think a, another good rule of thumb uh, when thinking about getting into the, the hotel space in a new development perspective, um, I'd like to touch two, check off two boxes as best I can. One is, can I, what can I build that requires the least square footage to make me competitive in this particular location? And once I've answered that, what type of property can I build that requires the fewest number of employees to operate, mm -hmm. understanding I still need to be competitive right. in that environment? So uh, developers trying to address those two criteria are finding, you know, I can go in the boutique space. Yeah. Uh, I can go independently because uh, I don't have to comply with, obviously, brand standards and so forth that I might if I went the, the affiliated route. So those are some of the things that we're seeing on the development side today. Right. And I guess it depends where you are. If you're in, say, midtown Atlanta, there's a lot of technology companies and a lot of young, progressive people. Maybe you can get away with a hotel where the guest comes in and never sees an employee, uh, right? They come right. in, they check in on their phone, their phone opens the door, right? And get away with less people. Final question for you, immigration. Does that have a, a material impact on the hospitality industry, either for guests or employees? Uh, yes, and, 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 and I'm gonna answer that kind of a, a, from two different perspectives. From, as you just said, from an employment perspective, uh, immigrants to the U.S. have historically, for a very long period of time, represented a prime source of labor mm -hmm. for running hotels, restaurants, hospitality-related operations. Uh, and I don't think there's much disagreement in our country today that uh, we really don't have a well-conceived working immigration set of policies in place today, mm -hmm. and nobody thinks it's going to get fixed anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So that, that feeds this whole labor concern over the longer haul. The other aspect of it to it is from a little different angle is the idea that uh, many of our markets, think Miami, New York, uh, uh, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, are, are very dependent on inbound international visitation. Mm -hmm. So there have been concerns about, geez, are we doing things or saying things that make our country less appealing? Uh, and the answer thus far is, doesn't seem to be because the numbers continue to increase, but we're watching that. Uh, that related issue closely as well. That's great. And last number that I guess you're tracking this one, the amount of U.S. Uh, hospitality guests that are using non-traditional hotel space. Is, that, is there a percentage there and is that growing or is that stable? Yeah, that number, and this is from long-term memory now, mm -hmm. that number today is, I believe, uh, Roughly 7% of all the demand for overnight accommodations, so it's the traditional plus the uh, sharing economy space, yeah. um, about 7% of that is now coming from the sharing economy space. And is that growing or is that pretty uh, stable? It's double what it was two years ago. Wow. So it's, uh, it's very much it's, it's growing. Wow. But again, I point out that traditional hotels had never been more full than they are. Right. So the good news is, is, is and I know you'll take this as a trick question, not meant to do but if you have no customers, mm -hmm. what does that do to your business? Kills them. But yeah, so 
Good news is the exact opposite is true today. There's more people traveling away from home in need of temporary accommodation than literally we've ever seen. Yeah. Well, let's hope it keeps going on, Mark. Uh, yep. Great information as usual. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. And stay with us. We'll have more on hotels around the country. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking for proven property management and facilities management education? Visit BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I, Building Owners and Managers Institute International. They are the trusted source for education in the property and facilities industry. Visit BOMI.org. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by Commercial Agent Success Strategies. It is video training for commercial brokerage firms. Check it out at commercialagentsuccess.com. Today we're talking about hospitality. We are talking about the hotel industry. Please welcome my next guest. It's Michael Belsario. He's Senior Analyst, Hotel REITs and Hotel Brands with Baird. And he's joining us on the phone today. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, Michael, as you're analyzing the, the I guess, the risk and the, and the potential returns of, of in the hotel world, and you look at, you know, it, as we're talking today, it's it's January 9th, and you know we're in the in a I don't know if we're in the middle or the end or where we are in the government shutdown, but and, and we've had some stock market gyrations. Um, any changes in your outlook uh, with recent goings on? <laughs> Yeah, I think the answer is yes. Uh, D.C., Washington, D.C. broadly is, is a big market for a handful of the hotel REITs we cover. Some of them have double-digit percentage exposure there. And the things that you got to remember is, one, it's a net negative. It's just how much of a net negative and how long does it last. Right? It's, it's January. It's a slow period for hotels. But on the margin, it's not great, and it will definitely impact demand in D.C., the Outer Rings, uh, certain parts of Virginia, possibly up to Philadelphia. Uh, a lot of national parks and national monuments are closed, too, so you might see some uh, leisure demand impacted on the weekends. But again, it's January. It's not the, the highest demand period, but it's, it's something we're keeping a close eye on, and it's, a, it's more of a near-term risk that eventually will get resolved, but we're keeping our eye on it. Yeah. Well, what do you think overall for hotel performance moving forward through uh, 2019? What do you expect? Yeah, for, for the overall industry, we think 2019 is going to be pretty similar to the last couple of years. Uh, call it two and a half-ish, maybe a little bit more in terms of RevPAR. Um, right, d demand is solid. Everyone's got a job. Businesses are still traveling. Obviously, there are a lot of risks out there. Uh, I think more headline and perceived than actual risks. But uh, things are okay. Uh, they're trending in the right direction, just that the slope of the curve is, is pretty flat right now. And do you see any differences in performance trends and, and projections for uh, the different types of hotels, like limited service versus full service, uh, boutique, or, or anything? Yeah, we, we definitely have. And uh, over the last 12 to 18 months, there's been a, a divergence. It's big, but it's, it's also on a relative basis between full service and select service hotels or limited service hotels. And I think one thing that we've seen is it's hard for hotel operators to push rate. And customers are smarter. Businesses are smarter. Technology has improved. Pricing transparency has improved. The 
the analog I use is true car in the car buying industry. Just the consumers are smarter. So in order to do that, or in order to get around that, we're seeing full service hotels performance-wise outperforming because they have parking revenues that they can increase. They have a greater percentage of the revenues coming from restaurants or bar. They can increase those revenues, meeting space. It's a lot harder uh, to raise your revenues when all you have is a rooms product, which is what a standard Hilton Garden Inn, Hampton Inn, Hyatt Place has. Uh, so we've seen that over the last 12 to 18 months as the business traveler and group business. Uh, I think convention business has remained pretty solid. All those other levers and all those other pieces of the, of the business that the full-service hotels have, that's caused them to be relative outperform, outperformers versus the, uh, the select service hotels over the last year or two. And we think that probably continues for the next 12-plus months. Ah, well, that makes sense. And when you look at uh, the reduction in gas and oil uh, prices, you look at you know the, the government shutdown, are there any uh, cities, any market areas where uh, you see that our winners are, are losers? Yeah, I, I think the markets that have been losers, it's, it's really the, the small cities in Texas and Houston is, is the big dot on the map there. I think a lot of the damage has been done already, whether oil is at 40 bucks, 50 bucks, 60 bucks. It's a lot lower than it was several years ago. Uh, to an extent, New Orleans has some uh, oil-related business, as does Denver. Uh, but the big high beta markets in terms of live and die by the fracking and the, uh, the, the exploration business, those are the small cities in Texas that aren't as institutionally relevant from our perspective on the public market side. But yeah, we, we've seen performance fall off a cliff uh, in Texas. It's rebounded a bit. And, and frankly, one of the best things, it was a horrible, tragic event, but one of the best things that happened for Texas in the hotel performance has been the hurricane, uh, right? It's led to a lot of non-oil uh, and gas-related business, the rebuilding business, the insurance business, the FEMA business, coming back to the city and the state there. And that's caused performance, uh, hotel performance at least, to stabilize uh, as oil has come back down off its highs over the last few years. But, yeah, I, I think the damage has been done already, though, and a lot of hotel operators have already done a lot of diversification and tried to move away from oil and gas and, and try to get different types of groups to, to, to diversify their base of business, and that, that's helped too. Right, right. We talk with Michael Belisario with Baird about the hotel industry. So, Michael, what, what are you seeing for trends for hotel REITs uh, lately, and what do you expect moving forward? Well, the, the stocks have gotten crushed. If you look at hotel REITs in the fourth quarter, right, higher beta, cyclical, Investors had broader growth concerns. They, they sold off hard, more than the market, more than other real estate sectors. Actually, the RMZ, the, the, the broader REIT index, actually performed very well uh, from February last, last year into year-end, just more of a defensive trade. Uh, we actually published our hotel REIT outlook note uh, a couple of days ago, and our position is to lean in. We think this creates a buying opportunity. We upgraded one stock, uh, Chesapeake, uh, Chesapeake Lodging Trust. Uh, we have more outperforms on our list than we have in a long time. And really, it's a function of valuations cheap. The stocks were trading at 10, 10 and a half, 11 times EBITDA. They were trading 15 to 30% below what we thought the real estate was worth. And they're set up for a bounce. And a lot of the macro concerns we think will continue to be concerns, but it won't actually lead to 
materially slower rev part growth. So we, we think the setup is pretty good for the stocks to work. A lot of the calls are a little bit more tactical and more of a bounce, but fundamentals are fine, right? 2%, 2.5% rev par growth. The bottom line remains challenged because there's a lot of cost pressure in the business, but the transaction market has held up well. The financing market has held up well. There's a lot of capital chasing deals, and the underlying real estate values have held up, and the stocks are cheap relative to the breakup values. Okay. And does immigration issues, uh, do they impact the hotel industry much? Yeah, one, one thing we've heard, and it's not just hotels, it's in the restaurant business too, it's that plus or minus minimum wage type worker, there's just not enough people to fill the open spots. Uh, supply growth in the industry is 2%. Uh, new hotels are being built, and um, you know, the, the person who's making $10, $12, $15 an hour will get up and go across the street for a, a higher paying job, and that might just be $0.50 cents an hour. So uh, it, it's been a headwind for hotel operators. It's pressured the bottom line, and wages have gone up roughly 3%. Uh, benefits have been going up more than that, and that's greater than what RevPAR is going up, and that, that that's not a winning formula for hotels. Yeah, yeah. What would you leave our audience with related to the hotel industry uh, moving forward through 2019? Uh, it, it's a cyclical business. I think that's the thing to remember. Uh, you buy the stocks at extremes, uh, extreme pessimism, extreme optimism. I think we're closer to the pessimism than the optimism side. And uh, you know, my charge would be to keep traveling, go on vacation, <laughs> stay in hotels, keep traveling for business, keep those occupancy numbers moving higher. That's right. Live your life. Have fun and work hard, right? Exactly. Well, Michael, thanks for joining us. Great information. Thank you, sir. Perfect. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you'd like more information, their website is rwbaird, and that's B-A-I-R-D dot com. Well, stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. We'll have more on the hotel industry. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Have you seen buyproxy.com? Brokers list properties, buyers and tenants search properties, all at no cost. They also have a suite of marketing services. Check them out at buyproxy.com. That's spelled B-I-P-R-O-X-I.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by RedIQ.com, extracting data from static property operating reports and transforming it into actionable intelligence. Check them out at RedIQ.com. Well, today we're talking hotels. We're talking about the hospitality industry. Please welcome my next guest. It's Chip Rogers, and Chip is president and CEO of Asian American Hotel Owners Association. He's here in Studio One. Chip, thanks for being with us. Michael, glad to be with you. Thank you. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, where you've been for several years now of uh, the leadership of AHOA. It's because you get to kind of see from your desk some of the concerns right. of, of all these owners all around the country. So I'd like to ask you about, you know, wh what's exciting? What are, what are people excited about in hotels? Maybe what's worries or concerns them? And then maybe a, a, a tip or strategy you could leave our audience with. So first, uh, what's going What's What excites owners today? Well, first of all, the tax cuts were very very helpful. Um, I don't think that gets enough. Well, the media is not going to promote that necessarily, but um, the real world sees it. Uh, it has helped uh, people travel more. If you think about it from a consumer sentiment, if your retirement's okay and you're securing your job and you got a little extra money, what are you going to do? A lot of people decide to travel. That's been great. On top of that, what excites them 
is gasoline at $2 a gallon or less. Um, there is a direct correlation, studies have shown, between the price of a gallon of gas and how much someone's willing to travel. And it's, it's obvious that yeah. it, that makes traveling less expensive. Um, so our, our owners are very excited about the economy, um, very excited about what's happening in, in, in with, uh, with oil and gas. Um, so those things add up on the positive side. On the concern side are two major things. Yeah. One, labor. That is absolutely the biggest thing I hear about everywhere. Yeah. Um, you probably hear it as well. Yeah. Um, you can't find labor, particularly in construction. So that has slowed down with some rising interest rates, slowed down some of the development. Mm. Um, now, there's a lot of what we would term Wall Street money out there buying up a, a lot of hotels because hotels are, are good investments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see some of our, uh, some of our uh, better operators uh, who are actually in a selling mode right now. Mm-hmm. They're, they're thinking, hey, this is a good time to sell. Uh, but the market's still expanding. Um, you know, I remember when I became president of AHOA back at the end of 2014, went to a conference in New York. And the discussion then was, have we reached the top? Yeah. Went back to the same conference in 2015. Have we reached the top? top. 16, 17, 18, (laughs) every single year. Have we reached the top? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, um, but it's been very good for quite some time. Yeah. Well, what about some tips and strategies? Because you see a lot from your desk. What would you give uh, as a tip for our audience? Um, If you're in our industry, in the hotel industry, one thing you absolutely cannot ignore is technology um, because the consumer absolutely expects it. Um, if you think you're going to run your hotel or even your business behind the kind of behind the scenes the same way that you did just five years ago, you're going to fall behind quickly. You've got to offer the consumer what they want, but you've also got to stay on top of pricing and, and things like that. If you do that, you can be very successful in the hotel industry. If you're not willing to commit to that, you're going to struggle. What do your members think about the kiosk or someone coming in and checking in and not having a person to talk to and just doing that with technology? Well, where you see some of these states mm-hmm. and cities that are putting in $15, $20 minimum, minimum wages and, and taking away opportunity for young people, which is really all it does. Yeah. It takes away that entry-level job. And in the hotel industry, you start at the bottom, you can go all the way to the top. We have yeah. CEOs of major corporations that started this dishwasher. Yeah. So that, I think that's a bad thing. But the technology is good because you have a number of consumers who still want to walk in and they want to see somebody, they want to greet somebody. It's right. still a human interaction. Right. But then you've got a lot of business travelers who do this three or four times a week. They're like, let me just get my electronic key and get to my room and I don't necessarily want to talk to anybody. And so there's a place for them, but they're never going to replace the front agent at the desk yeah. uh, because that person really sets the tone for the hospitality of the hotel. So a lot of your members kind of see it then, is what I'm gathering, as you want both to give the option. You absolutely want both. Yeah. It's going to save you a little yeah. bit on labor costs. Yeah. Um, once you make that investment, you'll recoup it rather quickly. But you'll never replace the human touch, which is absolutely necessary in our industry. Yeah. Well, how about this uh, partial government shutdown as we're talking today? What are we in day 32 or something? Yeah. Um, what do your members think about that? And is it impacting their business yet? It is. There's no doubt. Now, it's impacting certain pockets more than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an office in Washington, D.C. I spend a lot of time there. No question about it. Washington, D.C. has felt the impact, which I guess is good because they're the ones that need to solve the problem. Right. Um, if you go to other places where you have a large government presence, you're going to see some impact. If you go to a place that has little government presence, things are just operating as normal. I think two things have come to play here, and that is, number one, the ineptness of what happens in Washington, D.C. Why can't these People just get together and solve what should be a relatively easy problem to solve. Um, 
Number two, I think some of us say, well, maybe we don't need as much government in our lives to begin with. <laughs> and then number three, we ask ourselves, are there things like the TSA agents that could be privatized? If you recall, after September the 11th, there was a big debate as to whether that should be privatized or, or put in the hands of government. And now we see when you put it in the hands of government, consumers like myself who go through an airport two, three times a week, we're now having to pay the price. If it was a private entity doing that, probably able to do it just as well, we wouldn't be dealing with this. So is this an opportunity to go back and kind of revisit some things and some issues that, that we looked at many years ago? And as an association, uh, are you guys reaching out uh, to, to the po politicians <laughs> to let them know? Or? We, we absolutely do. We have yeah. a very good relationship um, with a lot of, member of members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. We have a good relationship with the administration. Uh, some of their policies have been very helpful for the hotel industry. Uh, and we have let them know as many others have, mm -hmm. that, uh, that this thing needs to come to a conclusion rather quickly because it's, it's getting worse every day. It's not getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree. Well, anything else you'd like to leave our audience with as a, a tip or a strategy, especially an operator who's trying to improve his numbers? I, I go back to that technology. There are so many yeah. things out there now where you can accurately price your product. Yeah. And, and the pricing changes by the hour. Um, that you can really maximize revenue. And that's what you need to be doing. If you're not doing that, you're losing it. The second thing you need to price is labor because people understand now that if I'm working for you and I'm making, say, $25 an hour and the guy down the street's going to pay me 26 I can find out about that rather quickly. Right. And you can't afford to keep losing your labor. Right. right. And, and and I know you know this, no, no, nothing new to you, but uh, my advice was is make sure your people are super service oriented and friendly to the guest. I mean, you know, as a guest, you come in and, and, right. and you're really dealing with people, yeah. you know, and you can, you can, I think you can, you can put up with some maybe negative issues with a restaurant or with a hotel or whatever, but if the people are rude, that's just, <laughs> you're not going back, right? No. And without mentioning a, a, a local national restaurant chain that we all know that's based here in, in Atlanta, hmm. there are examples out there where you just not necessarily have a better product or better price. But if you have people that treat their guests yeah. in a special way, your business is going to do exceptionally well. And this restaurant did a good job of that? Uh, yeah. We all know the restaurant chain. They have a special advertising theme with cows and stuff. So without, <laughs> men without mentioning them, I think we all know which restaurant chain does the best in, public yeah. or in, in, in the people business. Yeah. And it makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know in the apartment industry, there's... Um, uh, a big use of testers where right. someone will send a, a prospective tenant into a, to a complex and see how well they're treated. I guess that, that goes on a lot in the hospitality industry as well, I guess. It does. And it's yeah. not just the person at the front desk. It's the person that you see in the hallway that's going to uh, clean your room. Those right. Everybody that comes in contact with a guest needs to be a people person. Right. And, and then as an employer, you've got to reward that. You can't just look at what are their actual skills of doing their actual job without recognizing that a part of their job is communicating with other, other human beings. That's right. Well, Chip, great information. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you. Glad to be here. And stay with us. We'll have more on hotels around the country. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com.
Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For custom asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or give me a call. Today we're talking about the hotel industry. Please welcome my next guest, Warren Moore. He's U.S. Hospitality and Leisure Managing Director with PwC. Warren, thanks for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me on the show, Michael. Thank you, Warren. So um, what do you expect, to start us off with, what do you expect for 2019 performance in the hotel world? Uh, slowing overall demand growth. Uh, what we're hoping to see is a continued shift in total demand skewing, though, more towards the business traveler versus the leisure guest, which historically has played a much more significant role in lodging's current recovery than in the previous ones. The latter half of 2018 showed this return of the business traveler occurring finally, but, but the question is whether we continue to see this resurgence into 2019. Growth in 2019 will likely come entirely from room rate versus occupancy. If things don't derail with the economy, room rates are expected to be higher because of this resurgence in the business traveler. Now, it's important to understand, Michael, that business travelers are not as sensitive to price as midweek leisure guests. So many major markets see higher pricing as we move into 2019. So as we sit here today, economic indicators suggest continued growth in the U.S. lodging industry into 2019 given higher consumer spending supported by a rising uh, in disposable income, employment, and household net worth. Overall, growth in the industry is expected to continue, but at a slightly slower pace than, we, than we've seen over the past several years. But, and there's always a but, <laughs> and so here it is. In the U.S., the boost from fiscal stimulus that we've been experiencing last year is, is, is likely to start to fade, and higher interest rates may dampen consumer spending. It's not just about top-line performance, either. Labor costs are going up significantly in a number of major markets this year within the lodging sector. And places where we see labor dollars, which are the largest expense for a hotel, increasing faster than room rates or revenues, we can expect to see margin erosion. So the short answer is stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Well, it's interesting to see some rate growth uh, because it seems like that's, uh, that's been a little slow to grow. Uh, but I guess with more business travelers, uh, it's interesting to see. Well, let me ask you this, Warren. I mean, we've had some recent government shutdown that's going on as, as we're speaking here today. Um, we have some turmoil in the stock market that we haven't seen in years. So has any of that changed your outlook kind of recently? Well, yeah, to, to kind of recap, stock market volatility increased significantly during the fourth quarter of 18. It didn't take much, much at all in the way of news to move the needle in one direction or the other. Now, the new Congress has the potential to have a meaningful impact one way or the other on lodging performance, depending upon its positioning out of the gate with the White House. In addition, we continue to monitor trade tensions, waning fiscal stimulus and increasing interest rates, as well as growing inflation. The government shutdown has already had a significant impact on a small pocket of, US, of the U.S. lodging industry. That's really primarily hotels located within or immediately outside the gates of some of our most significant national parks, as well as hotels in our nation's capital that rely on business generated by the various parts of the federal government. Okay. And, of course, REITs own a lot of hotel hospitality properties. So what do you see for REIT performance, and what do you expect moving forward from uh, REITs? Well, with REITs, the short answer is it depends. 
many many public lodging REITs were net sellers last year. The REITs that focus on larger group-oriented properties uh, started to see traction over the past 12 months as as group business, uh, which is you know group meetings business, uh, strengthened. On the flip side, we're seeing quite a bit of activity in the non-traded REIT space, with buyers looking for for new new vintage, meaning you know younger properties that are select service properties, you know, no food and beverage, where the name of the game in these types of assets is cash on cash returns versus residual value. I also think it's safe to say it wouldn't be surprising to see some further consolidation in the lodging REIT space over the next 12 months. It's been proven that scale matters, and there are a number of players out there today with complementary platforms. Okay. And Warren, if we're looking at kind of indicators. Let's say that I have a listener who's nervous about the economy and you're looking at all the economic indicators that impact hotels. What would be an indicator that we might want to pay attention to? Well, in the lodging sector, there are typically there's, there are two things that precede a downturn, a downturn in hotel performance here in the U.S. The first is new supply. So the industry chugs along, doing real well for a few years. Lenders open up the purse strings and developers well, they, they develop. Supply increases and then surpasses the level of demand growth, and then we see a downturn. In this cycle, we've seen a much more disciplined lending environment and do not see supply being the Achilles heel for the sector over the next couple of years. So that's a good thing. So sure, there are pockets or markets where we are seeing some overbuilding, but on a national level, supply appears to have been kept in check during this cycle. Now to the second thing that can cause a downturn, and that is an unprecedented or unforeseen event. The terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, the collapse of the financial markets in September of 2008, both largely unforeseen by the majority of investors out there and therefore something that we really can't predict. Yeah, and one thing that we, we can predict or I guess we can see is you know, trade wars and, and tariffs and discussions about immigrations and, and a wall, what impact do these factors have on the hotel industry? Well, I'll put trade wars and tariffs into the same bucket here, and then, then we'll move and talk on to uh, immigration. So for trade wars and uh, the result in tariffs, it's, it's all about size, duration, and with who. Increased uh, trade war tensions with China could eventually have an impact on inbound leisure travel to the U.S. from that region. Now, with significant growth of the middle class in China, overseas leisure travel is increasing significantly, and the U.S. has become a very big beneficiary of that. And by default, the boost has been seen in lodging demand in many of the gateway markets here in this country. In addition, if tariffs make purchases of goods from China more expensive for the U.S. consumer, that could impact that discretionary spend we were talking about, mm. of which leisure trips are a part and thus the hotel uh, spend by these same consumers could be impacted negatively. Now on to immigration. Unemployment is at historical lows in this country, and many of the entry-level jobs in the lodging industry have historically been filled by unskilled labor, many of whom are immigrants. Many hotels are having a very difficult time right now finding people to fill these entry-level positions. And the answer isn't just about paying more. A hotel is a business, and the margins need to work. And that's something that is becoming increasingly of concern for the lodging sector is the ability to find talent and keep it. Yeah, it seems like a, a big issue for the, for the industry. 
is, is that labor part of it. What about lower gas prices? Does, does that help the hotel industry or more people maybe traveling? Well, lower gas prices, you would usually say helps. Uh, the question is, what happens if, if gas prices go up? And, and it depends. If you're, if you're a luxury resort in a major destination, there's probably not that much of an impact uh, regardless of what happens to gas prices. If you're a mid-market hotel in a drive-to destination, maybe it's a little bit more important. It also has to do with your business mix. A hotel that caters primarily to the business traveler par- uh, market is less likely to be impacted as one that caters mostly to tourist trade. Obviously, the price of a barrel of oil also translates into the price of jet fuel. And if that goes up enough for a long enough period of time that airlines hedging no longer shields it, and the price of an airline seat can be impacted and, again, trickle down to lodging performance. So then the current prices uh, that are, I guess, considered pretty low, what are we at, 50 60 bucks a barrel, uh, is favorable and is helping the hotel industry now? Yeah, it's helping it, and it's, it's uh, I guess what I'd say is it's not hurting it um, because it, we've had, you know, those level of oil or gas prices for a while now here. And so um, that impact has kind of already been built into the yeah. into the models and forecasts that people have. Yeah. Well, I hope gas prices stay stay where they are, or I'd love to even be lower. Well, Warren, what would you leave our audience with to think about related to the hotel industry? Well, like office and multifamily, industrial and retail, hotels are, are one of the commercial real estate classes that you can invest in today. And when you drill down to the absolute basics for any type of commercial real estate, Two of the most important metrics are vacancy, or in the case of hotels, occupancy levels, and then your rental rates. In an upmarket, everyone wants to own hotels because you get to change your rental rates daily. In a down market, no one wants to own hotels because you get to change your daily rates daily. Yeah, so that, that means, I guess, since you think we're going to have rate increases then, then this is kind of a favorable market where people may want to, to acquire more hotels in uh, 2019 than, than we've seen in 18? Well, you're in, you're in a situation where people are really can get, starting to get concerned about whether we're, you know, how close to the peak are we right now. Yeah. And so there is there is money sitting on the sidelines right now waiting to see what happens because, you know, we there is, while there is nothing that suggests there is going to be a, a market downturn, in, in the sector, there's nothing to suggest we're going to see significant growth as well. Yeah. And so the the real issue is we're at occupancy levels in the hotel industry that we've ne- we haven't seen in, in almost 40 years, well over 30 years. Yeah. And so for all intents purposes, we're close to capacity. It's the ability to start to drive that room rate, and that's that's the issue here. If you can do that, the flow through on, on room rate is, is very significant to the bottom line of a hotel's performance. Right. Keep labor prices down and no unforeseen <laughs> events, right? Warren, thank you for joining us, sir. Thanks again for having me, Michael. And thank you for joining us around the world, around the country, whether you're watching us on YouTube or on, on iTunes or any of the podcast sites. We appreciate it. We do like hearing from you. We like connecting with you. So please do that. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, and we're on Twitter. And you can find all those connections at Commercial Real Estate Show. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. 
America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by BullRealty.com, Commercial Real Estate Asset and Occupancy Solutions, RedIQ.com, Turning Data into Valuable Action, ByProxy.com, a complimentary listing service, CommercialAgentSuccess.com, Video Training from Michael Ball, Bomi.org, Property and Facility Management Education. To access these recommended companies or for more podcasts and videos, visit CREshow.com.